Republicans are blowing it. They're completely blowing it. The media have more or less admitted that the lockdowns are bogus, BS. How do we know they did that? Because they told us it was the most important thing to lock down. Then for two or three weeks, they said run wild, loot, riot, protest, go to a pride parade, go to a BLM rally. It's good. That's actually going to help stop the spread of COVID. Then the minute all that is over, they tell us that we need to lock down again, close restaurants, not go to work. We know that that is BS. We have seen politicians telling us we have to wear masks, even as they themselves are not wearing masks. Even the exalted Dr. Fauci, peace be upon him, the great lab-coded overlord that no one elected, even Dr. Fauci was caught on video taking his mask down. End of a meeting cameras are theoretically off. He pulls his mask down below his chin, sort of looking around. That's exactly how I wear my, my mask when I am traveling or when they make me wear one in a restaurant or something like that. There was another video. Fauci was on a cell phone and he's having this call. Then he looks over, he sees there's a camera. He pulls the mask right back up. They're showing it to us, folks. It does not matter. It's, they've changed their mind a million times. And yet, Every time they go for the lockdown, every time they go for these measures, it seems convenient to Democrats. We talked yesterday about how the lockdown is the Joe Biden campaign. Well, guess what? Republicans are falling for it again. They're going right along with it. With Republicans like this, who needs Democrats? I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. If the Democrats weren't the Democrats, I don't think I could be a Republican. That's how frustrated I am with the Republican Party today. We will get to specific Republican senators who are driving me up a wall. But first, I want to thank our friends over at BlinkSale. BlinkSale is the revolutionary invoicing software that is changing the landscape for small businesses and independent contractors everywhere. You should not have to send nagging emails to get your invoices paid. With BlinkSale, you can send beautiful custom branded invoices and estimates in seconds. You can stay on top of your outstanding invoices. You can let customers and clients easily pay your invoices online and you will get instant notifications when a customer opens your invoice so that you will actually know if they're just trying to avoid paying you, which sometimes happens. Forget about using those invoice templates or stressing about coordinating a bunch of different software programs or, or putting something together in a word processor or something like that. Don't, don't do that. I, I've freelanced before. I guess I still technically freelance. I, I never stay on top of those invoices. BlinkSale makes it so, so easy. You can see for yourself. Try BlinkSale for free at BlinkSale.com slash Knowles. That's B-L-I-N-K-S-A-L-E.com slash Knowles. BlinkSale. Spend less time billing and more time doing what you love. So we're shutting down again. We're going to pretend that the last three weeks of rioting and protests never happened. LA is doing it. LA's mayor, Eric Garcetti, tweets out, quote, COVID has taken control and we need to take control back. That's what we did in March, April, and May when we sacrificed, stayed safer at home, and saved lives. We need that same commitment to flatten the curve now. Notice he takes out June, which is when they let up on everything and allowed roving bands of leftist rioters to burn down the country. That, that was cool. But now we got to go back. But by the way, the spike, the super spike in the COVID cases has totally nothing to do with the leftist riots. Nothing to do at all. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. We were the first major city to require face coverings 
he writes, and we must continue to wear them. Gathering with anybody except for those you live with may spread the virus. And that's why more businesses and places where people gather indoors are closing or must operate differently. And he's announcing this right before 4th of July weekend to punish people, to make people feel like things are terrible and to, to drive us all absolutely mad. We didn't get this tweet when they were out there protesting for any of the various social justice left causes. I think he said one thing here that's true. We need to take control back. We need to take control back from demagogue leftist hacks who are exploiting some kind of sickness at this point now, 100% politically, and they're going to do it until November 3rd. We need to take control back from them. Well, who could lead us to take control back from these Democrats? Republicans could lead us, but they're not. They're not doing it. They are rolling over, which is basically the only thing they ever know how to do. We know that it's not just LA closing down again. Texas, the great state of Texas is locking down again. Republican governor there. I don't know. They're just, they're going along with it. They don't want the mean articles in the New York Times. They don't want to withstand the, the attacks from the left that are obviously going to keep ramping up through November 3rd. Texas is locking down again with one exception, and that would be vanilla ice. Yes, there are many things that are surprising. One, vanilla ice is still performing all those years, all those decades after ice, ice baby, but vanilla ice gets a pass. Why? Because the, the concert venue that he's going to be performing in is, I don't know, it's two or 3,000 seat place, but it's primarily a restaurant. So they've, and even though the bars and everything are closing down, somehow there is a loophole here and Vanilla Ice gets to continue to perform. And the saddest part of all of this is that Vanilla Ice has a better understanding of politics and medicine than most elected Republicans. And certainly than the governor of his state. It's, it's weep for your country, folks, when Vanilla Ice understands more about politics than your elected leaders. Democrats understand a lot about politics. And I think they understand about medicine, too. I think they're lying for political ends. And I think they are lying shamelessly. And the, the double standard and the hypocrisy is so transparent. But they do understand it. They know what they're doing. It's the Republicans that are driving me so crazy here because they're just allowing the Democrats to do it. Consider this. Everything that we have seen from a political standpoint in the last three months is almost created in a laboratory. I don't know about a laboratory in Wuhan, but a laboratory in some political scientist's basement to help Joe Biden and to hurt Donald Trump. You know Joe Biden's going to try to get out of the debates or make the debates more of a virtual kind of thing that will give him a benefit. They have a candidate who can't campaign. So what they do, they cancel the campaign. They have an opponent, an incumbent president, Donald Trump, who holds these massive great rallies. So what do they do? Cancel the rallies. They have a candidate who makes a lot of gaffes, right? He just, if, if Joe Biden were on the campaign trail right now, he'd be making 10 gaffes a day at least. So what do they do? They lock him in a basement. They had an incumbent with the best economy in the history of the world. What do they do? Crash the economy. And then when we flatten the curve, we do everything they say for the medical science. There's, there is no more medical or scientific argument they can make. What do they do? They say, yeah, we're going to do it again anyway. Why? I don't know. Cause you're not going to stop as Republicans cause you're a bunch of dummies and I'm sad to say Republicans are. The, the move from a Republican senator 
that set me off and it just made me realize yesterday that they don't understand anything. It was actually not related to COVID necessarily. It wasn't directly related to Black Lives Matter or something like that, though it, it was indirectly related to that. Two Republican senators, Ron Johnson and James Lankford, moved to cancel Columbus Day. Two Republican senators. I expect that of Democratic senators. I expect that of blue-haired leftists on college campuses. I don't expect that of my Republican senators. What was the argument? Well, the argument here, this is from Ron Johnson, Republican from Wisconsin, in response to a bipartisan effort to give federal workers another day of paid leave. Yeah, because that's what federal workers need is another day of paid leave. By designating Juneteenth a federal holiday, we have offered a counterproposal that does not put us further into debt. Like everything about this is wrong. Every, so the, the, here's, the, here's the point. They want to make Juneteenth a federal holiday. We'll get to Juneteenth in a second. But they don't want to run up any more debt. They don't want to have to pay any more money for that. You know, these, these hoi polloi workers, they, 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 wor- they don't work enough as it is. And if we're actually talking about federal government workers, that's true. But even, even extrapolate this out and talk about workers all over the country. They're saying, well, we don't, we don't want people to get like free money or a free day off. But we do want a virtue signal to the left, woke, racial identity politics mob. So the way that we're going to designate Juneteenth a federal holiday is that we're going to cancel Columbus Day. I look forward to donating to the primary campaigns of anyone who will run against Ron Johnson and James Lankford as a Republican. Although at this point, I'm kind of souring on these Republicans because they don't get it. First of all, Juneteenth should not be a federal holiday. Juneteenth should not be a federal holiday because it's not a national holiday. What is Juneteenth? I would say the vast majority of people had never heard about Juneteenth until leftist political activists started to talk about it ad nauseum a couple of weeks ago. But I think, and, and then everyone tried to pretend like they already knew about it. But I think if you were being honest with yourself, you would, for most people say, they didn't know what it is. What is Juneteenth? Juneteenth is the day that the Union Army announced in Texas the emancipation of the slaves. It's not the day the slaves were emancipated by the Emancipation Proclamation, not the day that the 13th Amendment freeing the slaves went into effect, not the day the 14th Amendment went into effect, just the day that the slaves were told about emancipation in Texas, which by the way, they had already knew about because there were other means of communication than union generals rolling in and giving a public announcement. Was it the first time that the slaves were freed? or that any slaves were told of their freedom? No. Was it the last time? Was it the completion of the emancipation of the slaves? No. Two more states were later told of their emancipation. Juneteenth, as it is observed, is observed in relatively few places in the country. It it is not a national holiday. If they were to make a national holiday about emancipation, they would pick a different day because there were national announcements about emancipation. But it isn't that. The left just picked it. They just picked this one. And then they tried to guilt everyone in the country into, into saying this is the most important holiday. Cancel Washington's birthday. Cancel Christmas, for goodness sakes. This has got to be the most important one. They just picked it at random. There are other days. The Emancipation Proclamation would make more sense, frankly, or any of them. But it's not about, it's not about Juneteenth. It's not about another holiday, as even the Republicans here make clear. It's about taking away something. It's about taking away Columbus Day. 
It's about reminding America of the sin, the original sin of slavery. They never want to talk about the original sin of original sin, but another day to remember slavery. Well, we, of course we remember slavery in the United States. In fact, one of the effects of having Confederate statues up is to remember that slavery was a big problem. Such a big problem, we had debates over it at the founding of the country, at the writing of the Declaration of Independence, at the writing of the Constitution, and then we fought a bloody civil war where 700,000 Americans died to fight over slavery. We don't need, I don't think we need to be reminded of that. I think we remember that. I think we know that very well. But this is about tearing down something that goes even further back, the discovery of the new world, without which none of us would be here. Some Republicans have told me, oh, Michael, this is so frivolous. Why fo-? One Republican commentator actually tweeted at me and said, why focus on something so frivolous? History and culture are not frivolous. And the dismissal of history and culture as frivolous and the redefining of the great conservative tradition into nothing but tax cuts and license is precisely what got us to the last three weeks in the first place, the mayhem and the madness. These guys, Ron Johnson and James Langford, I hope they withdraw their stupid, stupid bill. And I hope that then I don't have to donate to their primary opponents, but they, it's just, they typify perfectly, exemplify perfectly how Republicans just don't freaking get it. They don't get the radicalism we're up against. You know, I actually had the privilege of asking a question of Karen Bass. Karen Bass is a California congressman. Karen Bass is the head of the uh, Congressional Black Caucus. And Karen Bass is being strongly considered to be Joe Biden's running mate. Now, no one's asking her tough questions, obviously. So I was offered the opportunity by Alex Michelson, who's an anchor at Fox in LA, to come on and ask Karen Bass any question I wanted. So I I asked her a question about her troubling support for Marxists. She works very closely with and supports the Black Lives Matter movement, which we've talked about on this show. The leaders of BLM refer to themselves as trained Marxists. One of them took a photo with the communist dictator of Venezuela. And Congresswoman Bass herself has expressed support for Fidel Castro, praised Fidel Castro when he died. So my question to her with that context was very simple. I said, I said, Representative Bass, are you willing to disavow Marxists? And if you are, assuming that you are, why do you continue to support self-described Marxists? Here's her answer. That's very interesting because uh, I've known Black Lives Matter individuals for quite a while, and I have never known of Black Lives Matter to be a Marxist organization. You know, one of the challenges with organizing today that's very different when I was coming up is that we did have more solid organizations, whereas now you can have people who are affiliated with a lot of different a different groups. So that's a Black Lives Matter chapter that I'm surely not aware of. Oh, she's surely not aware of that Black Lives Matter chapter, except it's not a chapter. It's the national leadership. And I have proof that she is aware of them. Here is Patrice Calors, one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter, describing both she and or describing her, herself and her co-founder, Alicia Garza, as trained Marxists. I think that the criticism is helpful. Um, I also think that it might... Um, 
I think of a lot of things. The first thing I think is that we actually do have an ideological frame. Um, myself and Alicia in particular are trained organizers. Um, we uh, are trained Marxists. Um, we are uh, super uh, versed um, on sort of ideological theories. Of course we know they're versed on this ideological theory of Marxism. Anybody who reads the About Us section of the website of BLM would, would know that. I mean, they use the word comrades a lot. They want to abolish the police and they want to abolish the, quote, Western prescribed nuclear family. So it's very strange to me that Karen Bass, who works with BLM, wouldn't know the national leaders and wouldn't have heard this very now viral clip of them openly describing themselves as trained Marxists. So I did like two seconds of Googling and I found out, wait a second, Karen Bass actually does know them. Uh, there's a photo of Karen Bass speaking with Patrice Colors in Congress. And then uh, Congresswoman Bass tweets out afterward, thank you to Alicia Garza and Patrice Colors for joining the Black Caucus for a forum on police brutality this morning. Congress needs to act. So not only did she have this conversation in Congress on the record, she later tweeted about it. So, so this idea that she doesn't know them is a, a flat out lie. After she lied, Alex Michelson, the anchor of the program, pushed her on the question of, of her support for Fidel Castro, and she ducked that one too. If I had to do it over again, I probably would have deleted that if it offended people. But uh, again, promoting the relations between our two countries, I would never do that over again. She would probably not use that phrase if it offended people, if it offended people, this is a non-apology apology. This is sorry, I'm not sorry. She doesn't regret supporting this Fidel Castro's I evil ideology. She doesn't regret supporting his brutality. She regrets it if it offends people. My question was, will you disavow Marxism? She wouldn't, she didn't. She denied the premise and she lied then she deflected and she never did. Why didn't she? Because <laughs> she's not, of course she's not willing to disavow Marxism. Compare this to the way that Trump is treated. Trump every single day is told, disavow white supremacy. He goes, I disavow. Yeah, but do you really disavow it again? Okay, I disavow white supremacy. It's terrible. Remember Charlottesville where he allegedly called white supremacists and neo-Nazis very fine people? Remember in the exact same breath, when he talked about how there were fine people on both sides of the monument issue, he said, I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white supremacists who should be condemned totally. Remember how multiple, multiple times during the campaign, they said, why won't you condemn David Duke? He says, I condemn David Duke. I don't know David Duke. Sure, I condemn, I disavow. Doesn't matter. It's never enough. And yet this woman, seriously being considered for Joe Biden's running mate, is asked a simple question. Do you disavow Marxism after all the support you've shown for it over the years repeatedly and continually? She refuses to do it. That is a double standard. But she's not going to be pushed on it. At this point, the Crips gang understands the political moment we are in better than the Republican Party. There is a video going around of Black Lives Matter rioters, sorry, peaceful protesters coming into Long Beach, California, not so far from where I live. And the, I don't know, they've run roughshod through all these neighborhoods, smashed windows, you know, torched the whole neighborhoods. Well, they made it down to Long Beach and the Crips, a very well-known, well-established gang here, uh, decided, nah, they weren't going to take that 
at all. Take a listen. So you got this crip walking up to the BLM guys. And those BLM guys walking away. Get your motherfucking ass out. Get your punk asses on. Thank you, sir. Say something. Say something. Thank you, sir. Say something. Obviously, BLM went a little weak because this Crip guy looks pretty big and pretty scary. And so the BLM guy's walking away. Okay, yeah, thank you. Thank you, sir. And this BLM guy's not having it. Say something. Say something. The Crips now have a greater respect for law and order, not just than the peaceful rioters, but then our elected officials, certainly than the Democrats and apparently the Republicans, is the Republicans are willing to indulge these rioters very often, <laughs> willing to indulge these lawless democratic tactics. And the Crips are not. I mean, if effectively, these, these Crips have become like the, <laughs> the, the cops in the, you know, the actual cops are told to stand down and they got to be defunded and they're not allowed to do anything. So now we're relying on gang law and, and it's the best thing we've got in Long Beach now, apparently not a good state for the country. We wouldn't be in that situation if one side simply stood up and said, no, understood the political games that were being played, but that is not happening. And it's, ha you know, we see this in politics. We see this in the perversion of medical science. And of course we see this in the mainstream media. So there was this great image that came out the other day of uh, what I think should be the new cover of the Brooks Brothers catalog of Ken. He's called Ken and Karen, that gun couple, the guys wearing the pink polo shirt and the chinos. He's holding his AR-15 and Karen is holding that little tiny James Bond gun. They're kind of swinging the guns all over, not great trigger discipline. So this guy, uh, the, the, they call him Ken, the, the guy who's wearing the pink polo with the gun. He goes on Chris Cuomo's show on CNN and Chris Cuomo has a narrative in mind. Chris Cuomo hates that this couple defended themselves. Chris Cuomo loves that the rioters are running roughshod all over the country. And so he directed his ire at the, the man who defended himself. Guy stands in front of me, pulls out two loaded pistol magazines, snaps them together in front of my face and says, you're next. Okay. If you were there, Chris, I think you'd feel like you had a right to defend yourself as well. Absolutely. Somebody takes out uh, magazines or ammunition and clicks it and makes a direct threat to me, I would feel threatened 100%. And that's what happened to me. And look, I know that you're going through uh, a process with this. I welcome you having counsel. Uh, if you were within your rights to do what you were doing, it should be adjudged as such. I wanted to talk to you about the broader implication because it's just a horrible picture of what's going on in America right now. So to me, it's not about what's right and what's wrong just in a court of law. It's about what we want right, to, right and wrong about how we treat each other. And that's why the and president why retweeted this tweet. Mr. Watkins, you know it. And Mr. McCloskey, you know it. He retweeted it because he liked the image of white resistance to this movement. What? What? How on earth is that your conclusion from roving gang of thugs destroying your property, trespassing on your property, and a guy defends himself after another guy walks up with magazines and starts clicking them together and saying, you're next, obviously threatening his life. What Chris Cuomo did is the thing the left always does. When their stupid, fake propaganda narratives get disproven, as he said, okay, fine, you're right in the particular. You're right about what actually happened. 
But even though you were right about that and I was completely wrong about that, what I'm talking about is a greater truth. Oh yes, the greater truth that is completely disconnected from the actual truth. And the greater truth here, Mr. McCloskey, is that you're a white supremacist as so is Donald Trump and the peaceful protesters were totally peaceful. And yeah, I don't know what happened to your wrought iron gate, but it certainly wasn't those peaceful protesters that ripped it apart. No, and they, they would never have, have uh, thrown weapons in front of your face. No, and they wouldn't have trespassed on your property. No, no. The greater truth is that Donald Trump is an orange man who is bad, and I guess a white man also because he's in the Ku Klux Klan, and you're a pawn in that, so sorry about that. Thankfully, I'm so glad this guy, McCloskey, stood up for himself, and he asked, he asked Chris where on earth he was getting that from. Is, is, is Chris Cuomo a mind reader? And I'm not saying that was fair to you, but we know that's why he did it, because that's why he deleted it. I wanted you to well, speak I'm glad for yourself. You're, I'm, I'm glad you're a mind reader because no one else thinks you are. Oh, in fact, he didn't delete it. Good. Makes my point even more. No. Uh, <laughs> you didn't say that. It was said to me uh, for me. I'm thinking about something else where someone was screaming white power in a video that the president retweeted. He deleted that one. He didn't delete the one of you. I wanted to give you a chance to speak about it. We both know you don't have to be a mind reader to assess a pattern. You're not a mind reader either. I haven't seen the video of the person clapping the magazines, but you drew certain inferences from the behavior before you. I'm doing the same thing. We've seen behavior before us. I'm making a judgment. Oh my gosh, this is so pathetic. Chris Cuomo was wrong in the particular. Then he was wrong in his greater truth BS narrative. Then he was wrong about the, the tweet, which was the point he was trying to make. He said the president retweeted this. That's why he deleted it. I love McCloskey's line. Well, I'm glad you're, you think you're a mind reader, Chris, because no one else thinks you are. <laughs> Obviously not. And he goes, oh, no, wait, he didn't retweet it. Sorry, I got that part wrong too. Okay, so every single thing that I've been saying for the last three minutes is complete BS. But anyway, I think I'm right and, and you think you're right, so let's agree to disagree. Did you see what he said? He said, okay, well, Mr. McCloskey, look, some guy was waving a gun in your face and threatening your life and your family's life and trespassing and destroying your property. So look, but you're not a mind reader. You don't know what they were actually going to do. I mean, they told you what they were going to do and you saw them doing it and it actually happened, but you're not a mind reader. You drew certain inferences and I, Chris Cuomo, have an imagination. So I invented completely fictitious stories. So, you know, it's kind of the same thing. Chris Cuomo, obviously a joke, but he said something that is not true. It's perfectly wrong. But it does give you a fundamental basic insight into the leftist worldview. He gave you beyond the political issue and the BLM and the riots and the COVID and the taxes and whatever. He gave you the theological, the religious basis of the leftist worldview in about 10 seconds. If you do the right thing for yourself and your community, things will get better in this country. You don't need help from above. It's within us. There it is. That's progressivism. That is progressivism. If you come together and use politics in your community, we will perfect human nature. We will have a utopia on earth. We'll, if, as long as we have the right policies and a little more power and a little more money, we'll be able to fix all the problems in the world. You don't need God. You can be perfect. You can be perfect with our ideology. That is the lie that has been told to us by leftist politicians, by leftist intellectuals going back at least to Karl Marx and actually further back than Karl Marx. It's the lie that was told to us in the Garden of Eden. And it simply is not true. 
And people who have tried to affect a politics this way have learned the hard way that it's not true with a lot of human misery in the meantime. There is not a political solution to everything, to the problem of evil, to the problem of pain, to the problem of injustice lurking in people's hearts. There is not a final perfect political solution to that. You do need God. Every wise person in all of human history has acknowledged that. And Chris Cuomo has not, which I suppose should be unsurprising to us. The lack of self-awareness here, the hubris is stunning. I'll give you a great example of this. You know, President Trump is going to give a speech at Mount Rushmore and the left, oh man, they hate this speech. They hate this speech. They hate Mount Rushmore. We joked a few weeks ago, we said they're probably going to try to cancel Mount Rushmore. They are. They're trying to get rid of Mount Rushmore now. The New York Times has this piece out. How Mount Rushmore became Mount Rushmore. Sounds kind of like a modest piece, right? But here's the tweet that they sent out with it. Mount Rushmore was built on land that belonged to the Lakota tribe and sculpted by a man who had strong bonds with the Ku Klux Klan. It features the faces of two U.S. presidents who were slaveholders. All right, blow it up. Get the Taliban in here. Blow it up. Whatever. You remember what they did to that Buddha in Syria? Yeah, well, bring him in here around Afghanistan or wherever, wherever it was. Yeah, bring him in here and uh, blow it up. I don't know if, where they were in the Middle East, but we need to ship them to South Dakota. Now, I'd like to show the New York Times maybe why it's not so great to go down this road of trying to blow everything up for past grievances. The New York Times, the people who published this article and, and that tweet, this article was published by a newspaper that denied the Holodomor mass famine for Stalin. That's a bad thing. Covering up for Stalin, the, the, the wickedest dictator in the 20th century, certainly up there, certainly in, in the, big, the big two, big three, uh, that's bad. That's worse than what any of the other people did. Why are we permitting the New York Times to exist, but they want to get rid of Mount Rushmore? Because it has absolutely nothing to do with principles, nothing to do with rational argument, nothing to do with, oh, look, we just want to be heard. We want to have a listening session. We just want one more federal holiday. And yeah, by the way, we want to cancel Christopher Columbus and tear down his statues. And we just look, it's, it's reasonable. It's not reasonable. There's no argument here, guys. And, and these Republicans continue to fall for it. Stop falling for it. The reason that we have a Republican party is to fight back against the Democrats. If they're not going to do that, then we need something else. We need another party. And there's, there's really no point. You saw this with the judges. They say, you got to elect Republicans for the judges. Don't forget the judge. Well, you know, if the judges aren't going to do anything, if all the judges are going to do is roll over, then give me the Democrats. At least they're honest. All right. At least they don't uh, relieve themselves on my leg and tell me it's raining. They tell me exactly what they're doing. Get your act together, Republicans, and get serious and stop trying to get nice comments about yourself in the New York Times, which I think, as you can tell, if they're not going to be nice to George Washington, they're not going to be nice to you. And they're a totally corrupt, morally bankrupt institution that does not deserve our admiration or respect. All right, we'll get into the mailbag first, though. I want to thank you for subscribing to the Michael Knowles Show YouTube channel. I think we are up now past 120,000 subscribers. That was very, very fun. Uh, you know, I'm going to be speaking to, to my friend Dave Rubin today. So we're going to get that interview up over the weekend. Be a lot of fun. Bad news is Pod Saves America is still beating me on the Apple podcast charts. 
just by a little bit, but still, uh, if you wouldn't mind heading on over there, subscribing, leave a five-star review, would very much appreciate it. And by the way, if you're looking for something to read over the weekend, a little beach read for those of you who don't have tyrannical governors who are keeping you off the beach, you should go buy Ben's new book, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. Obviously, cancel culture is, uh, <laughs> it's around us. We're living in it right now. And Ben, uh, I guess he saw this coming and uh, he wrote this uh, terrific book about it called How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. Uh, you can pre-order your copy right now at dailywire.com Ben, Barnes and Noble or Amazon, and you will get the full picture of this strange moment in history in Ben's inimitable prose. Uh, it's a really fun, great, great read for the weekend. Sign up for Daily Wire Readers Pass 2. 99 cents for your first month, three bucks a month after that. Dailywire.com slash subscribe. We will be back with the mailbag. All right, let's get into the mailbag. I always run late on the mailbag, so I'm going to try to run through these as quickly as I possibly can. From Christy, Michael, some of us in the Daily Wire Autonomous Zone, or DWAZ, have a question for the wordsmith of the Daily Wire. Why do Americans call our upcoming holiday the 4th of July instead of Independence Day? We don't call Christmas the 25th of December, after all. Is there a deep meaning, or is it that we are just too lazy to learn how to spell the word independence? Thanks. That's a good, I guess that's a good uh, suggestion as to why it is. Uh, the simple answer is I don't know why, but it's not, uh, it's not necessarily some nefarious issue here. I mean, we do refer to other days by numbers or sort of vaguer descriptions. Like we don't call the Ides of March Murder Caesar Day. You know, we call it the Ides of March. And, uh, you know, there, there are other days that are not referred to specifically by what has, what, what they connote, you know, what they, what they bring about. I, I like the 4th of July as the time. I actually prefer to say the 4th of July to Independence Day because I like the idea of claiming the entire day in a self-expressive manner to be about us, to be about the political founding of our country. Uh, I like the idea that when you say the 4th of July, it could only mean one thing, and that could mean American independence. So uh, I refer to it that way, but I'm, I'm sure eventually not only is the left going to cancel the word, the phrase Independence Day, they're going to cancel the number four. They're going to cancel the month of July because it sends such shivers up and down their spine. From Chris, Michael, I am lead counsel in a lawsuit we filed against Mayor Bowser in DC for constructing the Black Lives Matter banner on 16th Street. We're making the argument that Black Lives Matter is a denominational sect that is inseparably linked to the religion of secular humanism. Do you agree? The Supreme Court, beginning in Torcaso versus Watkins, found that secular humanism is a religion. That is a uh, terrifically clever lawsuit. I really like that. I am sorry to say I'm skeptical or doubtful that you will be successful. I don't think the courts are going to go there, but certainly it is the case. Black Lives Matter does have a strongly religious aspect to it. I mean, just, just even in the way that it treats racism as a kind of stand-in for sin itself and the way that the American left broadly treats racism or you know, slavery, for instance, as the original sin rather than, than original sin as the original sin. There's an interesting book that's coming out pretty soon by Paul Kenger, an excellent writer. 
and it's called uh, The Devil and Karl Marx. And I, I get to write the foreword to that book, which was a lot of fun. And it's about Marx's spiritual history. And the, the more you read of Marx, particularly his poetry, you realize that Marxism is a, a religion. It's sort of an anti-religion. But Marx is dealing seriously with religious and spiritual concepts and has a demonic presence around him. So many people who knew him well uh, used that phrase. And so I, I think you can certainly treat Marxism, which is the animating force of, of Black Lives Matter, as a religion. But as a legal matter, look, if the courts are not willing to admit that sex means sex, and they're not willing to admit that babies are babies, and they're not willing to say that abortionists have to have the same credentials as other medical professionals, unfortunately, probably the deck is stacked against you. But good effort. I, I applaud it. From Nick. Hi, Michael. I am almost embarrassed to ask, but I need your advice on something. I've always felt like I had a secret, something I needed to hide from my family and close friends. I've known this about myself for some time, but was afraid to act on my impulses. I think Tulsi Gabbard is a total smoke show whose appearance is second only to Aphrodite. And truthfully, after one beer, it would probably be a tie. <laughs> I'm tempted to give in to my more primitive desires and support her politically. However, she's a total lib. What should I do? <laughs> it's a profound question, Nick. Do not give in. Oh, this is a tale as old as time, my friend. Do not give in simply because you've fallen a little bit gaga for an admittedly a very beautiful politician, particularly in comparison to her colleagues who are generally speaking physically less than beautiful. Now, the thing I will say for Tulsi, she's got some kind of interesting ideas. She breaks ranks with the Democrats on a number of, I, I don't even want to say issues so much as premises or angles of her worldview. So if you want to fall in politics with Tulsi Gabbard, do so for her vision of the world and for her policy stances. Do not do so for her physical beauty. The physical beauty will fade, my friend, but her voting record will be forever. From Aaron. Hi, Michael. I think Andrew Yang's idea of a four-day work week isn't good, but how did the five-day work week come about? How did it happen that a six-day work week, for example, wasn't the norm? Thanks. Great question. A lot of people give credit here to the unions. They always tell us, unions gave us the weekend. That is not true. Do not give unions credit for that. The five-day work week in the United States predates union demands for it by more than 20 years. Uh, the first five-day work week came about in New England in 1908. That was, uh, at a, I think it was a cotton mill there. And the, the purpose of that was to accommodate Jews because Christian Sabbath is on Sunday and with, with a few exceptions for various sects. And uh, Jews' Sabbath is on Saturday, right? Shabbat, Friday night into Saturday. So they got Saturday off to accommodate the Jews. Thank the Jews for that one. You know, Jews get a lot of, they get a lot of, you know, tough living in, the, in this world and have for thousands of years, but you got to thank them for your Saturday off. Then, ironically, speaking of someone who didn't like the Jews very much, uh, Henry Ford introduced the five-day work week at his factories in 1926. That was a full three years before a clothing union became the first union in America to demand the five-day work week. So it was 
capitalists and the capitalists and Jews basically who gave you the five day work week in America. And then the unions came around later and took all the credit from Patrick. Dear Michael, all this talk of police reform has got me wondering about the purpose of bail. Is it merely a way for richer people to avoid staying in jail awaiting trial while allowing police departments to get some extra cash in their budget? Does it have a history in British common law? Should we continue to have it? Thanks for the insight and historical perspective. Great, great question, because now there is a movement all around the country to abolish bail. And it's because people either, some, some people, useful idiots, don't understand bail, and they just go along with whatever the left tells them to do. And I think the left does understand bail, but they hate criminal justice generally, which is why they don't just want to abolish bail, they want to abolish the police. They, they literally want to abolish the police and let criminals run wild. So bail exists so that criminals will show up at their trial. The, the, you set bail not necessarily by the crime, but by the amount of money that will induce a defendant to actually show up at his trial. Because let's say I get arrested for, I don't know, some uh, probably, probably the crime I'm going to get arrested for in the future democratic America is I'll like use too much hairspray before my show. And they'll say that the uh, CFCs like are destroying the ozone or something. And they'll arrest me for that, that or something else. And then if they say that my bail is 10 bucks and I'll say, all right, here's my 10 bucks. I'm going to leave the jail and I'm going to run to Tijuana. I'm going to get the hell out of Dodge. So they would have to set my bail higher because I want to get the money back. I want to, I want something that is keeping me uh, in the area and willing to show up for my trial. Uh, there, there are some issues with bail. You know, people will go out and borrow money for bail and then they have this kind of high interest loan. And so, so there are issues with it. You could, you could talk about some aspects of bail reform, but I, frankly, I don't think now is the time to do it because it's it, just like we were talking about earlier. The left is not having a good faith discussion here. They literally want to abolish criminal justice and spring people, at least people of certain colors, uh, as they've explicitly said now in many of their protest demands from prison. And so I, I just don't think they're, they're having an honest conversation about anything related to criminal justice and we should not indulge their, their false premises. From Wesley, hey Michael, I have recently been called a racist for marrying a white woman. I've also been called a racist for preferring to live in the USA over any other country. Is having different preferences racist? If I chose a white woman over a brown or tan woman or the USA over China, am I racist? On social media, many people are saying, racism is woven into each of us, or we all have racial biases, even some saying that we are born racists. I believe in God and I, that I was created in his image. So as God is not a racist, so then I was not born a racist. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, this is absurd. I mean, I don't think anybody would ever attack a Japanese man for marrying a Japanese woman and call him a racist for doing that. I don't think anyone would ever attack a Nigerian man for marrying a Nigerian woman and call him a racist for that. But it has become fashionable in some parts of the very far left to say that a white person shouldn't marry a white person because that would be racist. I mean, the extreme version of this, you saw there was a transgendered YouTuber who said that if you're a, a man, straight man, and you only want to date women, and you don't want to date men who are dressed up as women, then you're a bigot and you're transphobic. I mean, I think those, those arguments are fairly similar. I, I think if, if we're now politicizing even just our personal attraction, gosh, there's just nothing left that hasn't been politicized. The point you make, though, is so important on, 
on racism itself and Christianity. The only reason that anybody thinks that racism is bad is because of Christianity and Judaism, Ju- Judaism, and you know the the, the prequel, <laughs> the, the first the first book, and then the second book, because man is made in the image of God. That's why we have human solidarity. That's why we have human dignity. We come from a common ancestor. So uh, if you don't have that, then you can't really explain why racism is bad, which is why we're the only civilization in history that's ever opposed racism. Another thing to to mention here on the the race point that it just occurred to me last night, I was having a cigar with Drew, is Jesus, who is a Jew, is, is mixed, right? He's mixed race in the sense that Ruth, who is not a Jew, she's a Moabite woman who marries marries into the Israelites, is in his genealogy. So he's actually mixed. And it's, it's, I like this because it, first of all, I mean, it dismisses the social justice stuff. That's sort of, you can, you can push that aside, but it also pushes aside these kind of cockamamie race theories that basically privilege race is the most important category in the world, which, which it simply is not. And, you know, uh, fundamental truth will do that to you. It will push away lots of crazy ideologies. One more question from Jeremy. Dear Mostly Peaceful Podcaster, (laughs) uh, I believe I noticed a rifle of the scary black variety during the video of the St. Louis couple defending their home. I was told in the past that no one needs a scary black rifle, despite an angry mob being a perfect situation for a scary black rifle. Black rifle, that's another, it's a term that also refers to that that other awful term, assault weapon, or the AR-15. Given that gun and ammo sales are up for the first time own owners, uh, home first time gun owners, do you think the left will have a harder time convincing people to vote anti-gun? Is the rioting enough to wake people up to at least the self-defense merits of the pro-Second Amendment stance? Thanks. I have never seen an issue cut across party lines so well as the Second Amendment. Obviously, conservatives and Republicans care about the Second Amendment much more than Democrats. But I know multiple Democrats who are strongly pro-Second Amendment. Some of them are one-issue voters, which is why they end up voting for Republicans, even though they don't really like Republicans and they prefer Democrats. I think you're going to see Republicans get demoralized in the next few months because we're watching our country burn around us and the, the Republican Party, guys like, you know, Ron Johnson and all, all these other people are kind of giving into leftist premises and it's just terribly dispiriting. So I don't know that necessarily it's going to give us a big boost in November. But one thing I do know is that gun control legislation is dead for the near future. It is dead. Nobody wants it. There is no appetite. People want guns. And I bet there are a lot of pretty far left liberals who secretly, when nobody's looking, are sneaking out to the gun store right now to protect themselves. I think there are a lot of people who are getting woke on on the reality of self-defense. I mean, even the gun couple in Florida, they are Democrats. They've donated to Democrats. They bend the knee to Black Lives Matter. But they've got those guns. And something tells me they're going to be buying some more guns in the future. All right, that's our show. Protect your, your independence as best you can. You don't need to just arm yourself with weapons. You can arm yourself 
with beers and hot dogs and hamburgers this weekend. I know that the governing authorities, the Democratic demagogues, and the squishy Republicans are going to tell you not to have any fun, not to celebrate America. The only way you can go at is if you're going to go loot a Gucci store or something, go steal sneakers down the block. But, but other than that, you're not allowed to leave your home. I, for one, am going to go to a barbecue, and it should be a lot of fun. Happy 4th of July, everybody. I will see you on Monday. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. If you enjoyed this episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Assistant director, Pavel Widowski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, Nika Geneva. Production assistant, Ryan Love. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there. Mm -hmm.